If you remember from two weeks ago, John really talked about kind of the book that he was using was The Intolerance of Tolerance. Okay, and so he defined this old view of tolerance that says allow views to be expressed and accept the difference of them. He quoted Voltaire. Maybe it's not really Voltaire. Maybe it is. Who knows? But I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. That kind of summarizes the old view that please come, come and talk. Um, we don't have to agree, but let, let's hear it out. And yet now the new view of tolerance is to accept all views as equally true and to avoid offense to anyone, to tolerate everything except intolerance. Intolerance is to oppose anyone's belief or opinion or to assert any belief as exclusive or to stand against this new tolerance. Okay, so that's really important because that's what Christians are having issues with. The stigma is that we're socially discredited and it causes pressure for us to conform to the norm or at least avoid deviating from it. And the norm is secularization. There are constant efforts through media, culture, uh, political pressures, all sorts of different sources uh, but is put religious faith out of the picture. Uh, it's a transition from li- religious values to secular, non-religious institutions. Okay, so if that's the norm, and you have that competing view of the new tolerance, we start to get a problem. And the effect, John said, is there's a belief of dualism, where our public lives are devoid of religious expression, and any religious beliefs are kept strictly private. And there are people that are, that are forcing that. It's, it's even, we talked about the influencers. Right now, it's very hard for evangelical Christians even to get into those key influencing areas. If you teach at a secular institution, you have almost no shot. If you're an evangelical Christian try, trying to teach in those places, you've got to hide your faith in order to get past the interviews. You've got to kind of sneak in. I mean, that really is how it is. I mean, there's, it's very difficult. Okay, so that's kind of the social... Uh, cultural milieu of the day right now. But here's the issue is, why do we need to speak at all? That's what we're talking about tonight. So tonight, there are three main questions I'm going to try to answer. So why do we need to speak out at all? Is it really a problem if we keep our faiths to ourselves? Second, aren't our good actions enough? Can't we just witness through our actions? Isn't that enough? Third, haven't we done enough harm in speaking publicly? Aren't some of the worst expressions of Christianity magnified by the media's ability to swoop in and report our bad conduct. These are the three main questions we're going to try to get at. Now, we're going to do a little exercise here, so hopefully you're willing to participate. But this is a famous quote. It says, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. This is famously attributed to Francis of Assisi, another one of those who knows who actually said this. Um, What do you guys think of this? How does this rub you? Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. What do you guys think of that? It doesn't necessarily say never use words. So, you know, it seems to kind of try to, you know, turn the conventional wisdom that it has to be all words on its head. Okay. Other thoughts? People like this, not like? I mean, I'm also even looking for just how do you personally, yeah, I really like that. That's a great motto. Or, nah, that's cruddy and this is why. I guess I don't really know what it means because to me, the gospel is good news. The actions is like good actions, but I don't know that okay. I would say, at least in the, like, the church that I grew up in, there was this idea that to be a Christian, you had to live this perfect life where every where people looking in would say, wow, your life is so great. That's why I want to be a Christian, so I can have a great life, just like you, where everything is perfect. I feel like this statement kind of perpetuates that 
you have to preach the gospel at all times by living an apparently perfect life so that everyone looking at you can say, oh, well, clearly that person has Jesus like, at all times. Good. I mean, you guys are actually, I think many uh, evangelical Christians kind of like, ooh, I really like this. I, th- this is the motto, you know, do works. And then if you have to, or if it's really needed, then say something. And what I kind of raised with them are, there's both theological issues with that, meaning how, how would someone possibly become to understand that God is triune, who's Father, Son, and Spirit? Like, how could you possibly understand that from, from actions? How could you possibly understand, even when, you know, lots of people see creation. I was just in Arrowhead and just talked to this random guy when I parked my car, and we were just both commenting, wow, it is just so beautiful right now. There's like six inches of snow. This is awesome. And he said, yeah, how could you not think there's a God that created all this? Um, and, and that, I mean, that sort of thing is great, but how do you prove that? Or, or how do you teach a specific doctrine that says, yes, we actually believe that one God created this as opposed to uh, random chances and forces, you know, different things. And I could go on and on. I mean, there's many, many Christian truths that cannot be proved simply by actions. It's just not possible. Now, they can be incarnated, right? Jesus did things like washing the disciples' feet and did things that, that helped to show this is what real service is. Like, look at this. And so we can learn a lot from actions. There's no doubt. But there are specific truths um, that we could not possibly learn from actions alone. And so I think it's really weak. And I also have a problem. If this is our, I think what I raised with them is that what if this were our method of evangelism or if this was our slogan or our motto? I would also have a very big problem with it because there are many people groups who have never heard the gospel, just like Ben is talking about. There's an issue of actually hearing it. The the gospel is both a person, Jesus, and a message, and it has to be communicated. So what I want to do is get at those first two questions. Why do we need to speak out? Is it a problem if we keep our faith to ourselves? And then aren't our good actions enough? Can't we just witness through our actions? I want to tackle that through looking at Scripture. And I want to say there's a pretty darn clear case that the message is really important. And so here's Paul's calling to preach. This at least kind of hints at it. Uh, 1 Timothy 2. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live in peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling you the truth. I am not lying and a teacher of the true faith in the Gentiles. He says, for this purpose, I was appointed as a herald and apostle. So Paul certainly felt this calling to preach a message. And it's really amazing. I mean, he gives us this amazing message right here. He sums it up. For there's one God, one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. How could someone come to know that without it being articulated? I mean, if somebody has another idea, please push back. I mean, I really don't want to, uh, you know, impose this, but I really think this is, it's necessary to, to describe how one can have relationship with God according to the Christian faith. Other faiths are going to disagree with this, of course, and that's fine. Um, But there's an actual message that has to be articulated. And Paul felt this deep calling to preach the gospel, to bring that message to people. Paul also said this in Romans. He said, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. 
This is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul not only felt a calling, he was eager to do it. He was excited. So it's, it seems to be the exact opposite of a lot of Christians I know, which is we're afraid, and at best we're like, fine, I'll preach the gospel. Paul is saying, man, I've been waiting for this opportunity to talk to you people in Rome. I've been telling other people, but I've been specifically praying about this community, about this city, because I know how influential it is, and I know how important it is for the spreading of the gospel. He was eager to talk to them. And I talked to students about this verse, and the reality that even I, I do have an excitement to share my faith, but there are, there are situations and places where I'm hesitant, or should I say this? Or, and I, I think a lot of it comes out of people-pleasing. comes out, what is this person going to think of me? Which really is just being ashamed, you know, is being afraid. Um, yeah, it's, it's not good. Okay, direct commands. Because what I really want to bring up tonight, one of the themes I want to get to is at least we need to know the Bible is clear that we are called to verbally give witness. And then we can evaluate, well, are we really doing that? Are we not? But I want it to be, hopefully it's going to be pretty crystal clear. Again, if you have a different perspective, please speak up. Um, but I, I see a really kind of uniform teaching. Here's Paul's words in Titus. He says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. In everything, set them a good example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. This, this letter specifically is written to Titus, is written to a disciple of his, and he's discussing him the importance of teaching, which of course is verbal, right? He, is, he has to make sure that his teaching has integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech. And look, he is also calling out deeds. In everything, set them a good example. Um, by doing what is good. So clearly the actions and the words need to go hand in hand. That's a given throughout Scripture that our actions would also witness to the reality of Jesus. So I don't want to like put that on the side like our actions don't matter. They have to. Uh, we're, we're living hypocritical lives if, if our actions aren't uh, lining up with the teaching. But he's also very concerned. Titus, make sure your teaching is in accord with sound doctrine. Make sure it's serious. Make sure it's executed well. Uh, don't do this lightly. You need to teach these people because if you teach them wrongly, we're, we're going to have big problems. It's also something we need to do on the individual level, right? I mean, that's, that's why partly why Exodus exists is to say, you know, sometimes we come up with some crazy things in Christianity. So let's talk this out together and let's see if we can actually build something that, that isn't totally wonky, right? Um, another command. Just We're trying to see the commands to preach the gospel. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The right, yeah, the righteousness of God. This is one of my favorite passages. 
the message of reconciliation. It couldn't be any clearer. Right? It could not be any clearer. And he's even, again, Paul likes to do that. He kind of summarizes one way of uh, describing w- what is the gospel? Here, it's this. That God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. So it's really important. Paul does it. Just in case you think he's the only one who does it, Jesus does it. He tells us to preach. He sent out his disciples in Luke 10. He said this, When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Both. We have actions. Clear. He's even giving them the power and authority to heal people. But he's also giving them a message. When you do that, Make sure you tie it together. Make sure you say, pronounce, the kingdom is near. God's kingdom is here because I've been sent out by Jesus. Right? So that message is fundamental. Jesus said it here, and this is one that we should all know really well, the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The key part I would like to maybe emphasize here is just that idea and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. There's no way you could do that with actions alone. So when, when we answer those questions, can we do this with actions alone? Absolutely not. It's just not possible, right? We've got to teach people what Jesus taught. And, Jesus, and that was such a fundamental part of Jesus' ministry. He said this in the book of Acts. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's witness in action and in word. I think that's the theme of Scripture, is that we need both actions and words you bring that together, that, that would be an integrated life, right? A, a life that is fully submitted to Christ, that is, that is, that's just true discipleship. Yeah? I think I'd look back on that part of the slide before. Which one? The Great Commission? Well, just what you're saying of teaching them to obey, because I think that that, I think that even more than other things can be so much of an action thing, more than a word thing. Where I think of even my... Like my supervisors right now, where I feel like I've, they teach me so much more about leadership and how to, to lead well and just do life well, just by my observations and that more than the things that they tell me. And I think that there is a, a piece of that modeling that is a piece of teaching that they obey, which is something teachers did as well. I would say the words and actions shouldn't be pitted against each other. That's where I think we get into all kinds of trouble. I think, I, I don't know what it is that we do that makes us think like that. So I would say actions and words, neither are more important than the other. I mean, they're both necessary. So, I mean, that would be my issue with, of course, we learn things fr- from observing and, and doing that. And we have to live out the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5 through 7. But we first got to learn it. We've got to hear it, right? I mean, we've got to hear, and then, and then you begin to live it. I don't think it's enough just to see someone do it and say, that's how I should live. Because we know lots of people live in lots of different ways. How does one choose 
That, that, that's the right way. That, that's the life of abundance. That's the way of Christ. But we've got to hear those things to evaluate it. Okay? I think you asked like, why we pit words in action against one another. And historically, the reason is because there was a period of time when we used words liberally, like we actually were not afraid to preach, but people busted us because our actions didn't match. This might go back a hundred years or more, but there was a period where everybody was comfortable preaching the gospel and telling their friends about Jesus, but our actions looked like we weren't living for the next life. We were totally living in this world. And so then we began to talk about hypocrisy a lot, and then people started pointing it out. So we made this huge shift where all we started talking about was action, 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 action. And we never thought there might be a time like today where we're ashamed to speak, and we hope to hide behind action. And we're still kind of pitting them against each other. But I think there was a good purpose at one point behind emphasizing our action because we were lacking there. But I think that time is kind of gone uh, because now we're hiding behind it. And by the way, every other person of faith and non-faith is trying to put on good actions too. So it seems like we're getting lost. If we're going to compete on actions, we might actually lose that fight. Yeah, and that's a great example. I mean, uh, the lady my uncle's dating, that we had a Habitat for Humanity build, which is a great thing to do. But Delta's not a Christian organization. They're just an airline, <laughs> you know, and they, they put on a habit. And that's great. It's a good thing that they do that. There's nothing wrong with it. There's just nothing distinctly Christian about it, you know. So we've got to think about those things. I think words and deeds are necessary, and let's move to this question. Haven't we done enough harm in speaking publicly? Aren't some of the worst expressions of Christianity magnified by the media's ability to swoop in and report our bad conduct? And to be honest, as I thought about this question, <laughs> I think the answer is, yeah, yeah, we have blown it speaking publicly. I, I, if, we, if we say no to that, I think we're just wrong. And yes, the media has a wonderful ability to say, hey, what's this crazy church doing? And let's, let's go, you know, let's make it into the biggest thing in the world. Yeah, I don't think we can overcome that, to be honest. Like, it is in, we've talked last week and in the prior series a year ago, um, we probably aren't going to be able to hoist the media where we can, you know, every week or every day put on a new, you know, the good stories of Christians really doing a lot of good in the world. Um, we're probably not going to win the battle there that way, okay? Um, so I think this has been a problem. However, the false logic is saying just because some of our big mistakes have been made here or because the media swoops into uh, the negative examples, that can't silence us. I don't think that follows from, yes, we've made some mistakes, and yes, we can't control what the media chooses to report on or not. But that can't stop us from affecting real lives and real people, even despite the issues that, that are thrown against us. So I wanted to do some, at least some constructions. Uh, what can we do? How can we overcome some of these things in the individual lives or, or in you know, even communities, not, not just uh, one by one? I think one of the things we need to do is Socratic or questioning evangelism. What that means is when you build relationships with people, um, we've got to begin to ask questions to help them break down some of their uh, both uh, opposition to Christian beliefs and help them to examine some of their own. And the best way we can do that is by asking real questions and maybe beginning to just bring up possible inconsistencies in people's beliefs. So when people uh, rail against Christians for being intolerant according to the new tolerance, we've got to be able to have an idea of, wait a minute, don't you make judgments in certain ways? Don't you believe the way you're living is a good way or, or is right? Or We've got to really, in conversation, begin to raise up 
don't you think there are, are ways that you say are right and wrong or good and bad, you know, things like that, and then you begin to build bridges with saying, yeah, Christians do make uh, moral claims and truths, uh, but so do most people, and so do you. Don't you live your life in certain moral standards? See what I mean? So you begin to actually dethrone some of the things that they're launching against Christianity, where a lot of times they're doing things that are very similar. Okay? Building relationships with people. I think this is one of the biggest because I hear it way too often when Christians actually rub shoulders with non-Christians and, and you actually start to live life, have dinner, you know, really make relationships. People go, wow, you're really different than all the Christians I know, quote-unquote, or I've heard on the media or uh, the, the stereotypes that I have floating around in my head is what they really mean. What happens is when you actually love people and serve them and care about them and get to know your neighbor and do various things like that, you become a better witness for Jesus and it's going to give you the opportunity to speak and them to actually take you seriously because you're no longer a Christian, quote unquote, on, from the media. You're Cormac, you're John, you know, whoever it is. And, and that begins to really build, hmm, that's interesting. I really care about this person. I see something maybe going on in their life. Um, I'm suddenly more open to saying, hmm, maybe Jesus is more real than I thought. Another is prayerful engagement with the Spirit and others. Simply, we, again, we really can't let the media or any other outside influence, whether it's our own people-pleasing issues, our own fears, worries, we can't let that go ahead of, God, what, what do you want me to say to this person? What do you want me to do right now? Who do you want me to talk to? Just the simple... Uh, obedient and prayerful engagement with the Spirit, saying, what do you want to do in this daily, monotonous day? Um, what are you up to? And then following and obeying and actually saying, wow, I think you want me to go talk to this person. I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to serve quietly. Wh whatever it is, I mean, there's various things, but this is about just living the Christian life in greater dependence upon the Spirit. And we talked a lot about that. So if you want to go deeper into that, our previous series uh, is the way to go. The other one is creative acts of loving service coupled with verbal proclamation. So instead of just doing the service, which I think is very important, it's also taking the time to risk actually prompting a spiritual conversation, actually going for it, and not just hiding behind the deed. I've done enough. And I'm not saying you do this every time. There are times where there's a homeless on the side of the street. I maybe hand them something or talk to them, and I'm not, hey, what do you think about Jesus? It's not being a robot. But it is saying, yeah, there are many times where we need to do actions, but we actually also need to take the risk of faith in prompting or initiating a conversation. Any thoughts about these? Are these helpful? Do you think of any other ways? How, how can we as Christians break down barriers so that, we aren't just hiding, because that's clearly not working. Yeah. This is more of a question, slash a problem, that comes out of a conversation I had today, actually. I was talking to a friend about her face, and she had something really terrible happen to her. And she says, I'm having trouble with God right now because I can't believe that, like he would do this to me or let this happen to me in his sovereign power. And she was speaking out of such a place of pain that it did not feel appropriate for me to come back against that with cerebral ideologies or doctrines. So it's like, speak, I think like a lot of people struggle with Christianity because they have pain, and you can't combat pain and an emotional response against God, for me at least, I don't know how, to combat that pain with doctrine, or even be sure that I'm speaking sound doctrine that I think, oh no, God didn't cause that, or oh no, you know, God is 
not all, you know, that brings up all kinds of problems. Like, is God all-powerful, and does he cause things? And, like, then I'm worried about my own doctrine. And also, I don't even think that'll be effective in speaking into her pain. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I, I think that would be a mistake. Let me give you a four-point lecture on why that wasn't really God who caused that. That's not, that, I don't even think that's what the Spirit would lead you to do. I think you're right to say sometimes you need to sit and cry with somebody or, or listen or, or even, well, let's, let's, go to the, let's take this to God together or, or I, I'm struggling with that too. I mean, so I don't want to, I hope you're not hearing me as the crazy person. If you don't give a sermon every time you're with somebody, then, then you failed Jesus or something crazy like that. Absolutely not. So, it's just that I still don't feel right with leaving that conversation and leaving those statements hanging of God let these bad things happen to me and I can't love God because these things, I don't feel good walking away from that conversation saying, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. I feel like I should speak something back. Gotcha. So you almost feel like the guilt. Like she's speaking untruths about God, in my opinion. Like it's her experience and it's her pain, but she's saying things about God that I don't believe are true, that are not true of the loving God, but I don't know how to speak against that. Like in a loving way, or that's even the time and the place? Like. One thing you might want to do, if, if this is a person you're in their life with, is, yes, in the moment of their deep pain, you cry, you weep, you, you pray, you, you just meet them where they are, and you let God take care of making himself known. But later, maybe a month, maybe, you know, in some time, you do come, you know, I was wondering, how are you still doing with God in that area? Is that still a source of pain? Why is that? And then, you know, I mean, it's just, that's part of the, the prayerful engagement with the Spirit is saying, yeah, if I am involved in this person's life, th- there may be, they even may be bringing some pain on themselves because of false theology. We do that sometimes. You know, if we think God is supposed to give us everything we, we want, and then he doesn't, and then we blame things on God, that's, that's a faulty theology that's going to take us probably away from our faith ultimately. So there is a needed corrective ability, but sometimes you don't do it in the moment. Do you see what I'm saying? So if it is somebody like that and you are feeling this tugging, wow, I think she's still in a place where she's actually believing things that aren't true about God. I would say, good, maybe walk with her through that. Maybe be willing to slowly, lovingly, carefully, as that person can maybe handle it or as maybe things are getting clearer where they're not in the midst of you know, the mess, maybe you can begin to say, well, have you thought about that? You know, here's how I've experienced I mean, maybe there's just a way that she'll be more open to receiving what you, what might actually be true about God. You know, John, did you have something? Yeah, but it, when I've had that situation, I've said to people, there are so many things I want to say to you, but now is not <laughs> the time, right? It leaves them hanging a little bit to know there is more. There's so many things I'd love to talk about what you just said. But you're not in that place right now. Hopefully, preach well enough, teach people so that they don't fall through the floorboards when the first thing happens, you just fall through theology. But if they are in that place, you can't go the other way and say, no, I'm going to introduce you to you. You've got to wait. You're right. I'm glad that you're not uh, giving up. And another thing to jump on, too, is that's where prayer really matters. I mean, continue to go to God. God, this person's really wrestling with you, and they've got some things. Would you... You know, I mean, I know a lot of us, and I'm the first one to say, I can fix all these problems by logically telling people what's right. It's like, that, that's because we're so prideful to think that the Spirit isn't more effective than we are. So, so the other half, and, and God does use us to speak truth, and so I'm not trying to say, don't ever say anything again. But we should also say, yeah, this person is in such a deep faultiness here that I even, even with some 
corrective discussions. Uh, Lord, like you, you're going to have to do something that's beyond kind of what, what I can even do in this person's life. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I like this list, and I think going back to your first slide about the um, quote by Francis, I think I would change it to something along the lines of, yeah, like preach the gospel all times, and definitely when appropriate, use words. And I think that's the, that's the key that gets us in trouble is use words in a way that isn't appropriate or at inappropriate times that offend other people. And I think that this, you know, this, I don't know what to call this, but you know, the points you have up here, I think, is a good formula for, you know, engaging in the spirit and building those relationships and, you know, actually speaking at, you know, appropriate times after you, or even, I don't know, after, not that there should be more, but building on relationships and good acts and stuff like that, you know, I think it needs to be really appropriate for all. Yeah. I want to read just, we've been doing this, read a couple cases, a couple things going on just to continue raising that issue. And then there'll be one more thing after that. But here, here are just a few things that are going on recently. Jonathan Lopez, a student at Los Angeles City College, gave a speech about his faith and his traditional view of marriage. Lopez's professor stopped the speech, refused to grade it, and threatened to have Lopez expelled. Lopez sued the professor, a dean of the school, and the school for violating his First Amendment rights. The district court sided with Lopez, but the Ninth Circuit held that Lopez did not have standing to sue because the teacher's statements are not a credible threat of harm. Another one, Erica Corder, a class valedictorian, made a short speech during graduation in 2006. The official policy of the school for school speeches did not mention religion, but prohibited speech that, quote, tends to create hostility or otherwise disrupt the orderly operation of the educational process. Corder gave a speech that referenced her personal faith. At the conclusion of the ceremony, a teacher escorted Corder to speak with a school official. The official informed Corder that she would not receive her diploma until she made a public apology for her speech. The district court uh, sided with the school district and the 10th Circuit affirmed it. Crazy. <laughs> uh, Columbine High School hosted a tile painting project so students could express themselves following the school's tragedy. Some students expressed themselves with religious symbols, including one by a victim's sister who incorporated a small yellow cross in her tile design. After the tiles were posted, the school officials eradicated the religious symbols from the tile display. A lawsuit was filed to prevent the school officials from censoring the religious expression of the students. Unfortunately, the court chose not to uphold the students' expression rights and instead validated the school's censorship. Simple thing and a way to mourn. Can't even put a cross on a tile. Like, I think that's a little bit loopy. Uh, Mark Dew, a student, last one, at uh, Pellissippi State Community College was told by school officials that he could not hand out Christian literature or preach on campus. The officials claimed these actions are solicitation and therefore against college rules. The school offered him the option to speak once a week on campus as a guest of a student group or to pay a fee as a non-student speaker. Dew filed a lawsuit against the school to defend his right to free speech. These things are happening all over the place. Okay? So this is very relevant. You know, there is strong pressure to remain quiet. Um, what I want to do to end it is, is just to say, you know, I don't want us to talk about people out there um, or to talk about, uh, yeah, just 
clearly, I, I don't see much pushback tonight on the fact that we know we're supposed to do this. What I'm wondering is what, what type of internal pushback is there in the actual everyday if there are ashamed issues or if there are uh, fears of sharing, I want us to be able to, to think about that. And the way we're going to do that, instead of just saying it out loud, um, I talked a little bit about this Wednesday night, which is kind of a newer teaching that I'm at least thinking of, which is a differentiation between intention and regimens. And what that means is, in this case, so basically we've been talking about, hey, we need to be able to share our faith. We need to articulate that. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend a minute just before the Lord um, asking, okay, is this an issue in my life? Am, am I really ashamed? Or to what level am I ashamed? Do I have problems articulating the gospel? Um, and if so, if the answer is, yeah, yeah, I do. And, and this is how, this is why, this is what's going on. We're going to spend a couple just kind of reflective moments in prayer. Um, then you're going to ask the Lord, is this just need to be an intention? Just meaning, hey, the next time there's an opportunity, um, I'm intending to not act like I have been. Good, I'm just going to kind of pocket it away. I'm not going to, you know, I just know this is on the radar and it's going to be an intention to bring this part of my life into uh, discipleship to Christ. Or is this time for a regimen? And so what we're going to, like, is this, God, do you really want me to even more narrowly or more specifically foc- focus on this aspect of my life? Is this something that I've actually been hiding for for a long time and in obedience to you, I need to enter into some sort of discipline, whether that means uh, sharing my testimony with somebody. You know, just, we're, we're just trying to seek the Lord together to say, hey, is this something you really need to maybe actively kind of enter into a training about? Or is this something, no, I, I know this is something I'm not totally following through with, um, but maybe, maybe there's other things you're working on in my heart, Lord. Um, or, hey, maybe, maybe this is something you're actively doing, so I'm not trying to put guilt on people in any way. Maybe this is something you're like, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm regularly sharing my faith. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing God bless that, and uh, that's a wonderful thing, too. So if you guys would join me in prayer, I'm just going to lead us through some reflection, and, and kind of let's just open up to God, okay? So if you would, bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we thank you. Uh, God, we don't want to just talk about this stuff. It's not enough. Uh, Lord, so we, we open to you right now. And God, we just want to ask, Lord, would you show us, do we have some real ashamedness in our hearts about speaking the gospel to other people? Would you kind of just bring that about right now as we, we sit in prayer with you? Are there certain people we are just terrified to speak with? Spirit, uh, is this something that just needs to be an intention of our heart? Or, or do you want to take us on a regimen, whether that's a week-long regimen, just something where we're really uh, saying this is a problem? Do you want to take us on an intention or, or a regimen, Lord? Would you show us that? God, I pray that we would continue to meet with you on this, uh, Lord, that we wouldn't just do Sunday nights just to do them. Uh, Lord, we, I thank you that we got to read that passage of Scripture that says you want all people to come to know you. 
That's the desire of your heart. Father, I confess there are many times where I don't desire that same thing. I'm not concerned about all people. I'm not even close to concerned about them. Lord, would you forgive me and forgive us of that? Or would you break us out of our self-focus at times? And Father, would you shepherd us? Uh, teach us, take us on a journey. If, if, if we're really struggling in this area, Lord, I pray that you would meet us and that you would uh, inspire us and encourage us through your spirit uh, to take a risk, to, to just invite you into that. Um, and we want to be obedient to you. Uh, in, in this week as we're sent out, if there are people you want us to share the gospel with, both in word and in action, God, show us. And uh, Lord, we pray that we'd obey you. Pray this in your gracious name. Amen.